If you'll take your Bibles or devices where you have Scripture available to you, we'd like to uh, look at a couple of Scriptures this morning as we start um, and base our, really the entire series will be based upon uh, at least one verse, but today to introduce it, we'll start with several verses from the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. If you turn to chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 16 through verse 25. Let me just say to you, um, this is one of my kind of my pet peeves because I'm an, just a, I better, oh, thank you, old school. Um, Never allow the convenience of technology to take your Bible from your hand. I just have a problem with that, okay? And uh, it's easy, isn't it? Uh, we want to try to provide convenience, and particularly for people that uh, don't know Christ personally and maybe don't even own a Bible. We want to make sure that they see the Bible, see scriptures, and so you'll find we'll sometimes have uh, some scripture texts uh, put on the screens for you, but never, for those of you who know Jesus, bring your Bibles. I don't care whether you bring it on an iPad or a phone or uh, a, 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 a printed Bible. How many of you agree? It's just good to have our Bibles with us, all right? So forgive me for being old school about that, but uh, just encourage you. Of course, you're welcome to use uh, what's on the screen. So let me read to you uh, these verses, and we'll get a broad context for what we're going to talk about today. Sun ripened fruit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Anybody here ever experienced that? These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Can I just pause for a moment? Quick sidebar. Isn't it interesting? We're not focusing on the works of the flesh as they're listed here. Isn't it interesting that even witchcraft, witchcraft is listed as a work of the flesh? Is that interesting? Not something that maybe you would have guessed that would be in this list, um, but there for a reason. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces, listen to this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, have nailed 
I love this verse. They have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. One other translation says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I think these verses give us a pretty good idea of what it means to live the right kind of life as believers and as followers of Jesus. I'm going to get to the sun-ripened fruit and introduce it today, and starting next week, we'll begin to break down the fruit one part at a time. Today is introductory and some broad brushstrokes about developing the fruit of the Spirit. But before you can really comprehend what it means to develop the fruit of the Spirit, you have to understand this principle that I'm going to explain to you now. Did you notice that in the verses it simply said this? It talks about these two forces that are constantly at war and conflict with one another. Did you remember that part? It said there's two forces at work in each of us. So it's important that we kind of get a hold of this concept and we really settle in on it because uh, there's, there's discussions today and people who would argue these things. I think it's very clear in the Bible, but some people just like to argue. So uh, let me see if I can just review this principle with you very quickly. There are two things spoken of as these two different forces or natures that are in conflict with one another. And they're mentioned here in Galatians. They're mentioned in the book of Romans extensively. And so we learn that there are two different natures on the inside of born-again Christians that are at war with one another. Let's identify them. First is the flesh. There's other names used for the flesh, depending upon the translation, Bible translation, or even uh, Paul will change up his nomenclature throughout the New Testament. But they're speaking of the same thing. Sometimes it speaks of the flesh. Sometimes it speaks of the old man. Sometimes it speaks of, as we're reading this morning, the sinful nature. Do you notice that? All of that represents the flesh. The flesh is the old part of our being that was that was fashioned after Adam. For those of you that are here for our identity series, it's the Adam nature that dwells on the inside of us. We're born with that nature. It is a nature that is opposed to God, doesn't want to please God. It wants to do its own thing. It will do its own thing. It will rebel against God. Its mind is hostile against God. That's the fleshly nature. The thing that many times Christians don't understand is they assume that the moment they come to Jesus, that all disappears. I wish I could believe that. I really wish that I could agree with that viewpoint. I wish it were true because we're stuck with a war going on on the inside of us. Conflict that's going on all the time. The second part, the second nature is the spirit nature in us. The Spirit sometimes here referred to is not the Holy Spirit, but it is the Holy Spirit part of our nature that He has now birthed on the inside of us as Christians. He has come to live and reside in us. He's regenerated us, and He births in seed form the Spirit's nature. It is the part of us that is God-obedient, the part of us that wants to 
follow God, obey Him, do what pleases Him. Sometimes we refer to this as the new nature. The old nature, the new nature. Sometimes we talk about it being the spiritual man or the spiritual nature. Sometimes uh, Paul will talk about put off the old man and what? Put on the new man. What's he talking about? He's not talking about a pair of clothes. He's talking about these two natures. He's basically saying, don't surrender yourself to the appetites, the desires, the passions of that old nature, but give in and yield to that new nature that also is on the inside of you. You and I cast votes every day and every hour for who is going to win out in your life. Who you're going to live for. Whose passions dictates you're going to follow. Let me give you a couple of companion scriptures from Romans, if I may. Romans 7.15. Paul confesses this. See if you can relate to this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. That sound like a confused man? No. He's just living in the same place that you and I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing. Anybody who can agree with that? You felt that. Would you raise your hand here? Come on, some of y'all lying to me today. I see it. I, I cannot believe you'd be so deceptive. Let's skip to the next chapter in Romans 8. Listen to what he says in verse 5 and 6. Paul adds, those who live according to the flesh. Do you know what it means, according to? In other words, surrendered to, yielded to, listening to, being dictated to by the flesh or this sinful nature. Those who live according to that have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind that is governed by the flesh, it's death. The mind that's governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Do you see that we have this competing thing going on, this war that's on the inside of us? And basically that's why Paul in Corinthians tells us this. He said, I'm, and, I, and I'm not turning to the Scripture because I, I don't have time to digress too much, but I want to introduce you to the thought. Paul talks to the believers. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, listen, I've got a problem. I'd like to say some things to you that you really need and you really ought to hear. But the problem is there's some of you who are there at Corinth that are carnal Christians. You're carnal. You can't handle it. You think you can, but you can't. And the reason is because, yes, I'm speaking to all of you as Christians, but he begins to give us categories and not that... I don't think in any way we should run around categorizing people and say, oh, well, you're carnal, you're spiritual, you're carnal. No, no, no. But he's trying to make a point. He's saying there are some of you who are carnal, meaning you can't handle the deeper things because you're still having to live on the milk of the word, even though by now you ought to be more mature. By now you should be out of that stage, but some of you are still in the stage of like spiritual infancy because you're acting like babies. Come on, someone could say amen. It's okay. That's all you could say. Right? He just, these people are literally considered, called 
in Scripture, carnal. Carnal Christians are those whose lives are controlled and directed by self, by the old man, by selfish intents, the old nature, the sinful nature. If we allow the sinful nature to dominate, direct, and we listen to that, by the way, the voices are always going on. They're all, you get the voices. I mean, okay, it may lessen a little bit at the more mature you get, but the voices, you're going to get the voices. The question is, whose voice are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? What will you obey? A carnal Christian, and by the word, the word is similar to the Spanish word, carne, similar to that word, and it simply means flesh-based. A carnal Christian is someone who is controlled by, listens to, and predominantly follows the dictates of the sinful nature. But there are spiritual Christians. A spiritual Christian is not a perfect Christian, but a spiritual Christian is simply someone who is maturing to the point that they are more spirit-directed in their life. So we understand back to Galatians chapter 5, that this is the issue that he's talking us through. And he's basically saying, listen, we have decisions to make as Christians. And we have to decide how we're going to live. How are we going to live? Who's going to be in control? And even though you're a Christian and your sins are forgiven and Jesus has died for you and you've accepted that by faith, there are many Christians who are born again who you will see in heaven. But they are not living a Christ-directed controlled life here on earth it's sad but it's true too many christians are carnal christians and what god wants to do is raise us up to a higher level to where we're no longer being controlled predominantly by those carnal dictates but we're listening instead to what the spirit of god is doing and we have a new part of us that spirit part of us now that he's saying start yielding to that and by the way Uh, as you will notice in the text that we read, it basically presents, this is the big picture principle. If you live a life that is carnal, if you live a life that is controlled, dictated by the sinful nature, here are the things that will take place as examples. It's not a comprehensive, it is comprehensive, it is not an exhaustive list, but it is a sampling of the kind of activities and behaviors that will happen. Paul calls them the work of the flesh the works the behavior this is what some of the things are going to look like and go that's a pretty awesome list wouldn't you agree i mean everything from causing dissension with one another to drunkenness i mean it covers the whole gamut he said if you live a life that is controlled by the sinful nature here's some examples of the kind of behavior that you can expect in your life because that list and then he draws a contrast he said however If the Holy Spirit, through the spiritual nature that's on the inside of you, is in control, you're yielding more to that, here are some things that you could expect that will result from that kind of Spirit-directed life. And he refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, I just always found it interesting that one, in the flesh, they're called works of the flesh, and on the Spirit, they're called fruit. Isn't that interesting? One's called works of the flesh. The other is called fruit. It's almost like he doesn't even want to to complement the flesh by calling it fruit. He's just saying their works, results. But when it comes to the Spirit's result in our life, he calls it fruit. A couple of general things 
about the fruit of the Spirit that answer the question, what is the fruit of the Spirit? I'm amazed at people who can't answer that question, actually. Oh, they may quote the verse, verse 22, and say, oh, it's love, joy, peace, da, 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 because you've memorized it. But what are they? First of all, they are divinely produced character traits. They are behaviors that are seen, experienced in the life of a person. Notice my phrase, divinely produced. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, you cannot uh, create fruit. Have you ever seen an apple tree that's going like this? I've got to make this apple happen. Finally, we got the apple. It's not the way fruit is grown, is it? That's not. Nor is it the way that spiritual fruit is developed and grown. These are divinely produced. It is a product of, it is a result of simply living the Jesus life. It's living a life that is ordered, controlled by him and not ourselves. Each of the nine fruit that we're going to study over the next few weeks, each of those nine fruit or character traits are evident in the life of Jesus Christ. Not only is he our pattern and our example for a fruitful, fruit-filled life, he's also the source for leading a fruitful, fruit-filled life. He's an example, but he's also the source. You see, some people think of the list that we see here in Galatians 5.22, they look at it as simply an ethic as just a moral standard. And they say to people, here's how you ought to live. I'm so glad this is more than just a moral standard. I'm so glad it's more than just some, some new law that gets put here. Say, All right, live like this, see if you can measure up to this. No, 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 it's not that. It is the result of a relationship with Jesus Christ and yielding to his control in our life through the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is we live the Jesus life, and Jesus is the model. He's the pattern of those kinds of things. You see every one of them in full measure, perfected in his life. He is the picture of love, the picture of joy, the picture of peace. But... Only Christ in you can produce those things. Otherwise, it's striving and it's legalistic and it's rigid and it's not life-giving. Are you getting it? Okay. So it's not just a moral standard or ethic. This is the result of living by the Spirit. One other interesting observation in general. Notice that fruit is singular. It doesn't say, and the fruits of the Spirit will be produced. Do you ever notice that? It's singular. Isn't that a little interesting? And then it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, but then it goes on to give us nine of them. So you say, well, what is it? Is it singular or is it plural? It is singular fruit. I think he's trying to keep this comprehensive idea or view of, 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 of the singular fruit, the life, the fruit of the Spirit but he's saying it does express itself in different ways. The best way I can give you, it's like a cluster of grapes. Okay? There are nine different expressions, but together it all is the what? The fruit of the Spirit. All right? So this is just a little introduction to what the fruit of the Spirit are. And what are they? They're listed right there for us in Galatians 5.22. 
love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to cover each of these in detail over the next several weeks in this series. So now, let me offer to you some insights today that will help us to prepare our hearts for really digging deep into the fruit of the Spirit. Four insights about the fruit of the Spirit. You ready for these? Number one, producing fruit is important. Duh. I know you said, well, it's the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, but sometimes we just don't give it credit. Sometimes we just, we, you know what? It's a whole lot more enjoyable to focus on the gifts than it is to do the work of seeing the Spirit produce fruit. All right? Some people are so wrapped up and focused on gifts, they forget the Scripture that says, without love, you're just a bunch of noise. Am I right? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. So, producing the fruit of the Spirit is, is key. It's vital. And so we must put it in its proper perspective and its proper priority. First of all, it's important to God. Did you know that producing the fruit of the Spirit in ample supply is pleasing to God? I think if you break it down, it's obvious. God is pleased when we walk in love. Agreed with that? When we are walking and we have joy, when, when peace is controlling our lives, God is pleased with that kind of walk and behavior, right? But not only is it important to God, it's also important to others because it's other people that are going to eat of your fruit. And there have been times in my life someone's taken a bite of me. Still this day it happens. They take a bite of me and they're not getting sun-ripened fruit. They're getting something else. And it's a sour, bitter taste and it's no good. And they say, well, who, man, I don't, want, I don't want a part of what you believe in. Am I right? So fruit is a witness and a testimony to other people. You know, sometimes you don't have to even, I mean, I'm a proponent of being ready at any moment to share the good news of Jesus and having the, the ability to share with someone, here's how you come to Christ. But sometimes your love, your patience, your forbearance, your kindness is the only gospel they're going to hear today. And by the way, you can talk all you want, and if you don't have some of this fruit that's in high production in your life, they'll go, not interested in that message. That's just, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's what Pharisees do, by the way. It's all talk. Do this, do this, do this, but there's no fruit to back it up. So the fruit of the Spirit producing fruit is important to God, it's important to others, but it's also important to you. It should be important to you because guess what? Fulfillment. Fulfillment in life. There is a personal residual benefit that comes from walking out, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. As you grow more of the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to find that life is better. You're going to find more fulfillment. You're going to find, wow, this is a whole lot better than my old life. If you compared a, a carnal life Versus a spirit-directed life, this one's going to be far better for you, even just on a pure personal level. So producing fruit's important. Number two, fruit is always determined by the seed. 
fruit is always determined by the seed. The scripture tells us in Genesis that everything produces after its own kind. Meaning, a tomato seed will produce tomatoes. A kernel of corn will produce corn. I know this is really advanced stuff here, okay? But every seed produces after what it is. There is a principle. Sometimes I call it the root fruit principle, or here today I'll call it the seed root fruit principle. If we want to produce fruit, we have to understand that fruit begins with a seed. And then a seed, it's, it's, it's nothing more complicated than, than, than planting something in your garden. You put a seed in the ground, and as it germinates, the seed will actually spring up into a plant, and then you have roots. You have a root system that develops, and then after the root system develops, next thing you know, you have a plant, and then you produce fruit. No seed, no fruit. No roots, no fruit. Jesus explains this principle to us. He said, you want to know, you want to know what's going on in someone's life? Look at the fruit. You want to evaluate and be able to appraise? He said, we know people by what? By their fruit. I contend, look at the fruit, you'll know the root. Because roots are directly connected to fruit. If you have a corrupt root system, not going to have good fruit. If you have good root system that comes from good healthy seed, the likelihood of you having good fruit goes way, way up. Am I right? Many, many years ago, uh, as a young man, um, uh, Carrie and I, I think, had been married just for a couple of years, and uh, we want to have a garden. I was raised having gardens. There's nothing that we don't like more than fresh red vegetables and a freshly garden ripe veggies. So, you know, I don't have a lot of patience for these gas-infused tomatoes that you get at the store, okay? So, but if it's fresh, garden, fresh, I love it, okay? That's why people like the Ognabennies give me supplies during the summer. Anyway, there was a time that I, ha I had the time, and we had the land that we put in a pretty expansive garden. And so I couldn't, I don't know, I was so crazy, I decided to plant a lot of tomato plants. And I remember my father saying, are you sure you need that many tomato plants? Oh, Dad, yeah. So I don't know, I plant 30 or 40 tomato plants, you know. I mean, we lived on several acres, no, no big deal, right? But uh, then I had to cultivate it, right? So we planted these tomato plants, and it got to a point, I remember having several people who were advising me in the, in the garden. And so one, uh, we got to a certain point, my tomato plants were looking really good, but the fruit was tiny and inadequate. And I remember saying to them, I said, what's wrong with my tomato plants? They said, oh, they said, you haven't stressed them enough. I'm thinking, what do you mean stressed them enough? And basically what they told me was is that I had overwatered my tomato plants and they had not all had time nor the need to develop an extensive root system. So as a result, we weren't getting the kind of fruit that we should it taught me the lesson that there's a direct correlation between roots and fruit, right? As Christians, we need to make sure that we are rooted in Christ. And you say, well, what about the seed? Where does the seed for the fruit of the Spirit come? From Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, in our heart.
It is not possible for someone who is not born again to have these spiritual fruit. They might have something that resembles it. They may have behavior. I know some Muslims that show more love sometimes than Christians. Okay? So they may resemble it, but I personally believe the kind of fruit we're talking about is sun-ripened. This kind of fruit comes from the seed of the Spirit that is on the inside of you. I'm going to give this one principle, and we'll go on. When Christ comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you, it's like a seed that is planted in you deeply. And in that seed is all the fruit of the Spirit. When I put that seed, that vegetable seed, down in the soil with the intention of eating good food during the summer from it, all of the fruit is in the seed. It's the miracle of seed time, harvest time. What starts off one seed becomes much fruit and then multiple, multiplicity of seeds from that, right? But my point is this, the fruit is in the seed. The fruit of the Spirit is in the seed of the Holy Spirit that resides in us when we're born of the Spirit. When he comes to live on the inside of you, he brings in potential. He brings the capacity. He brings the potential for all of the fruit of the Spirit. Are you getting this? All right, which connects to my next point, which is this. Fruit is grown. Now, this is deep stuff, I know. It's important that we know that fruit is not a gift. Fruit is not given. Fruit is developed. Fruit does not come, the fruit of the Spirit does not come by impartation. I cannot lay hands on you today and impart. I, many times someone says, oh, please pray. I just need, I just need more of this or that, and they're giving fruit. You know, fruit. I just need more love. I, I can't lay hands on you and impart love. You might have some sense of God's love around you, but I can't lay hands on you and impart joy. If I did, I'd start new seminars or we'd, we'd write new books or we'd do something, right? No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't come by impartation. There's nothing that simply replaces the fact that fruit is grown and developed. And this is not the kind of fruit, sun-ripened fruit that we're speaking of here. This, this is not the kind of fruit that you go to Food Line or Farm Fresh to buy. You don't go to your local vegetable market and buy the fruit of the Spirit. This is not bought. This is grown. And it takes time. It's not instantaneous. Wouldn't it be nice if it were? But instead, we have Christians on a continuum of maturity levels with all different levels of fruit. And so we have to understand that it's not instantaneous. We're in a society where we think everything's got to be done. I mean, we, we're microwave-based Christians. We want everything like this. We want it convenient. We want it quick. Right? 
It's the kind of consumers that we've been trained to be. It doesn't apply to your Christian walk. Just make note of it. It doesn't apply. And so we have to understand fruit is grown. Fruit is grown. The fruit of the Spirit is not something you go buy in a seed packet or from a vendor. You don't borrow, buy, inherit, or get it from your parents. It's not, it, it, it is something that must be homegrown from the inside out. One more point, I'm done with it. Sun-ripened fruit is the result of our relationship with Christ. The scripture tells us in John chapter 15, Jesus explains to us the secret. It's not just the secret to fruit bearing, but it's the secret to life through Christ. In verse 4 and 5 of John chapter 15, let me read it. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Picture a picture of vineyard. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide are connected, have union in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Listen, the key to fruit production is the connection between you and Christ. It is the relationship, fellowship, communion, exchange, flow of life between you and him. And when you start abiding more in him, staying connected, staying united, let there be a flow of life through prayer and Bible study and walk with God and others. When you do that, your fruit production goes up. But when it's only a Sunday fix... When it's just, when I get time, somehow get around, Lord, to that, you're going to find fruit production minimal at best. Fruit is the natural, organic, I should say supernatural, the supernatural, organic result of being connected, abiding, living in, staying connected with Christ. Just because you have eternal life does not guarantee that you are abiding in Him. You had an initial connection, but now you are responsible to abide. The flow is there. It'll flow into you. The, 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 the life to produce fruit will come into you only as you stay connected with Him. That's why communion, fellowship with Him, prayer, meditation, reading the Bible, studying the Bible individually, together in groups, why that's so important. Why? It's all about abiding. We're, we're just trying to maximize this abiding relationship so that we can live for Jesus and the organic result will be what? Fruit. Fruit. It just happens if there's the abiding principle going on. So I leave you with this. We have to be connected with Jesus. Disconnected from Jesus. In a relational way, I'm speaking. Makes it impossible to produce any fruit. 
We will have no signs of life unless we simply remain in Christ. Only in Christ can we live a spirit-directed life. And that will be a life that produces an abundant harvest of the spirit, of the fruit of the spirit. I hope that these principles help to introduce you and give you a, a new focus on sun ripened fruit what it is some principles that govern it and then we're going to study over the next several weeks the individual parts of that fruit could i ask you to close with me today by standing and i want to ask you just a very very direct question how connected are you I'm the vine and you are the branches. How connected are you to the vine today? Do you have the kind of relationship that is producing the right kind of fruit? I pray that you will determine today to have that kind of walk with God. It begins with the decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. I want our prayer teams, ministry teams to come forward please to the front begins with a relationship with Christ. But then it is maintained by ongoing daily decisions that say this. I'm not going to be a carnal Christian. I'm going to be a not a self-directed. I'm going to be a spirit-directed Christian. Would you make that decision today? Make a decision to no longer be carnal in the way that we live and choose remember the war the forces battling inside decide today to regularly say yes to what Christ wants in your life and say no to what the old sinful nature dictates it's your call it's your decision every minute every hour and every day decide to be spirit-directed and spirit-controlled. Fruit development will just take care of itself. Would you close your eyes? Immediately after I pray, I'm going to ask for those of you that need to make that decision, that initial decision to connect by faith with Christ. I want you to make your way up to the front immediately when I say amen. You can even start your way up here now if you want. And I want you to tell one of these two ministry team said I've made a decision today to let Jesus be my master, my savior my lord, pray with me to seal that decision and the rest of you I'm going to ask you this as I close in prayer, if, there, if you're here this morning you say the Holy Spirit's really convicting me today that I've been living a self-controlled self-directed life and the sinful nature's been winning out but starting today I'm making a decision to let God's voice God's Spirit win the day. If that's your cry, heart cry, would you just raise your hand so I include you in this prayer? Say, that's me. God's been speaking to me today. This service. I see several hands all over. Just put your hands down. Let's pray. We confess, Lord, that uh, too often we fall into the habit and the pattern of that sinful nature following its passions and dictates and appetites and Lord today we repent of that but we're making a quality choice today 
an act of our will. We choose today to listen to and follow the dictates, desires, and control of the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us in that resolve. Come alongside of us, Holy Spirit. Comfort us and counsel us as we pursue God. Because we want to be those spiritual Christians. We want to be those people that other people look and they see fruit, they taste of it, and they go, wow, that's great. And we can point them to you. So, Lord, we make that decision today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.